Um, so back to Romans this week, excited to, to look at the end of this chapter in, in Romans uh, chapter 12, just those last few verses there, uh, partly just because I think it's a really important text. And, and, and not that all the Bible is not important, but I say important in the sense of very relevant to where we are in our culture. There's some things that it says here that are so important for us to think through and begin to live out of as our identity in Jesus. And, and the reason I say that is because in so many ways, our world goes directly against what Paul's calling us to here, what God's calling us to in his word. And so much so, it's so pervasive in our culture today and the way people interact and the way people kind of attack and go at each other, it's kind of made its way in a lot of ways into the church and the way that we respond to a lot of things. And so as I was thinking about this this week, I've seen this over and over particularly in the last couple of years where we as the church, and when I say the church, I mean church universal believers across the entire world, we end up kind of embracing very unbiblical ideas. We begin to support or endorse or go directly against what scripture says, particularly in this area. Now, that's true of all of us at different times. We say here all the time, we're growing in our relationship with the Lord, discipleship. We want to be obedient to Jesus in every area of our lives. There, there are parts of all of us, every single one of us, that we still have unbelief. Or, or we hear what God says, or, or maybe we're ignorant of what God says, or, or we're holding on to maybe a pragmatic view of things. We go, yeah, the Bible says this, but I'm not really sure that that works in the world today. And so we all struggle with that in different ways. And so sadly, what I think has happened here recently, even in our country, is we've embraced this idea of what our culture is kind of pushing of uh, kind of a uh, what I call like a two camp extreme. It's almost like the middle's gone and everything is caricatures and it's either one thing way over here or one thing way over here and you got to pick what side you're on. And then you pick what side you're on and then you vilify the other side and they're wrong and they're evil and they're bad and it becomes this really ugly thing. And we see it in our culture all around us. And the sad part is oftentimes the extremes are kind of caricatures and the middle ground is gone and no one's having meaningful conversations. And it just is kind of a self-perpetuating thing. When we get into that kind of thinking, it's like it gets worse and worse. And so division is stoked at every turn. And you're kind of pushed into you're either on this team or you're on this team. And the thing that concerns me and why I think this passage is so important for us as we talk about it and look at it together this morning is if we are faithful to be kingdom-minded people, God's kingdom first, seeking Jesus to be king over everything in our life, we want him to stand over all or just what we say with discipleship. We want to grow in obedience to Jesus in every area of our life. We have to reject both extremes. We can't get into that kind of thinking we can't become this like uh, two extreme camps, us versus them, and we're going to go to war with everybody around us. And so as I was, I was just thinking about uh, that and just what we see in our culture right now, there, there's a couple lies that our culture has embraced wholeheartedly. But sadly, I think it's seeped into the church and a lot within the church have kind of embraced it as well. And, and, and I, and this is oversimplification, but as I thought about it, I think two of these things are true. The, the first one is this idea that the ends justify the means. You see that today all over. Well, they're wrong. And so it's okay for me to be ugly and attacking and go after them because they're wrong. 
And so all the ends to try to get them to see my point are okay because I'm trying to get to this end that's right. And so the ends justify the means. And you see it. And sadly, what's happened is it's made its way into the church. But then the second thing is this idea of going to war with people and attacking. It's going to lead to change. That that's the way it's going to come. That change is going to come by being so ugly and attacking at every turn. And so I read this quote that a friend posted the other day. And it was from a guy that I wasn't familiar with. It was a believer. Uh, but the quote said this. So we often expend far more energy trying to prove someone wrong than we do helping them discover how loved they are. And I thought that was such a cool way that he said that. We often spend so much energy trying to prove someone wrong rather than helping them discover how loved they are. And it goes hand in hand with what Paul's going to say here at the end of Romans chapter 12. Because what he's going to say is in a world where you're persecuted, yes, truth matters. And yes, we're called to speak for those things. But then everything he's going to say here, bless when they curse or when you're persecuted, don't return that with curses, but bless them. And then he's going to say, not only that, but live in harmony and don't be haughty and don't repay evil for evil and never avenge yourself and love your enemies and overcome evil with good. And he says something that's radically different than what our culture says right now. And so I want us to think through why this is so important. And so this is the way I want us just to look at this. First, I just want us to to kind of work our way through and see what are we called to? If we're going to be kingdom minded people that are following Jesus in every area of our life, what are we called to? How do we stand in the middle of all this in our culture today? So first, what are we called to? Secondly, why what he's calling us to is not peripheral. It's not secondary. It's really important because it goes right to the heart of who we are. So that's the second part. Why is it not peripheral? And then the last part, I just want us to think about how does this shape us and then others if we actually do what he's calling us to? And so let's just start with the very beginning there of what he's calling us to. Look again just at verses 14 to 18. I'll read that just so it's fresh in our mind. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil. But give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So he says a lot there. He says a lot when you place it into our culture today, to be quite frank, that's really hard. It's really difficult. A lot of the things that he's calling us to here. To bless and not curse, right? He starts right there from the beginning. And notice the context. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Now, what he says there is a general uh, truth that is true in every situation. Whether someone's persecuting you or not, always bless. Always uh, be kind and gracious. But he's, he's saying here, even particularly when you're attacked, bless and do not curse. And so I want us just to think about what that means for a second. He's not talking here about profanity, although it would be closely related with this idea of cursing someone in the sense of uh, i think what he's saying is is in context cursing is uh being attacking being cutting being ugly to the person so you've said something that i don't agree with and you're persecuting me so i'm going to go back just as hard at you and he says don't do that don't curse don't curse them but bless them 
And so blessing here in the context is, is really speaking the truth in an affirming way. Now, that doesn't mean that we push truth aside or that's not important. It is important. But he's saying when you do that, bless them by speaking the truth, but do it in a loving way, in an affirming way. And so it's important for us to understand what he's calling us to. And I would say it like this. It's difficult to do in our culture today what he's saying. When you are persecuted, when someone attacks you, when someone comes up against the truth, particularly as a Christian, what God has called us to, uh, when we say things that, uh, when we call sin, sin, I'm just keep it that general. As a Christian, when we say the things that the Bible calls as sin or sin, you will be persecuted in some ways today. People will attack you and say, well, I, you, that can't be. I don't believe that. And that's regressive or that's wrong. Or there may be some attack that comes when you call sin, sin. And it's difficult in our culture today because we've bought this lie that if I disagree with something that you're doing, that I hate you, right? T- today we've equated that what I do and my feelings and what I hold to are who I am. And if you don't affirm every single one of them, you hate me. In large ways, our culture has embraced that idea. And so when we call sin, sin, and we say that, there will be people that say, well, you hate me. I can't believe you wouldn't affirm this in my life and say, this is true of me. And that's not what scripture tells us, though, that we do speak the truth, that we do speak the truth in love, that we hold to what God says over all things. And so when you do that, even in blessing, even when speaking the truth in an affirming way, oftentimes you will be attacked for that. There will be persecution that comes for doing it and even doing it in a gracious way. Even doing it as kind as you can. Even trying to clarify that I don't hate you or I love you and I want to speak the truth and I want to say these things and people will still attack you. But here's the thing. Oftentimes what has happened in our culture is we may even do that first step. They say, well, I'm going to speak the truth. I'm going to bless. I'm going to say it in an affirming way and then persecution comes. And then maybe try it again. Well, no, 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 that's not what I mean. And here's what the truth is. And then persecution comes. And then maybe like the third or fourth time you go, oh, forget this. If they're going to attack me, I'm going back at them. And that's what our culture has embraced in a lot of ways. That two camp extremes. Well, if you attack me and you're not hearing what I'm saying and you're not going to listen to me, then I'm coming at you. And what he says here, though, is when you are persecuted, what God is telling us is when you are persecuted, you don't return in the same way. And so this is kind of a, 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 an endless loop. It's not just once. It's not just twice. It's just not just a few times and then, okay, I'm not getting through to you. So now I'm justified to respond in the way that you're responding to me. And I think that's what's happened in a lot of ways. We've bought the lie that the ends justify the means. Well, this is true and I'm, I'm holding for truth. So now it's okay if I'm ugly. It's okay if I get... Uh, instead of blessing, I begin to curse. I begin to go back with the same force. But that's not what he's telling us. He's telling us we're called to speak the truth in all things. And so I want you just to think about why uh, it's so important that we don't buy the lie that speaking the truth to someone is not attacking them, it's not attacking who they are, but it, that it's actually loving to do so. Right? Our culture would say, that's not the truth. You need to affirm me in everything. And if you don't affirm me in everything, then you don't love me. The Bible says the opposite. 
that we hold to what God says and what his word says, and we do it as graciously and as kindly as possible, but we still hold to what it says. And so I, I was working on this sermon this week, and just in my own Bible reading plan, I was reading through uh, the Gospel of Mark, and I was in chapter 10. And so maybe you know this passage. It's pretty familiar, I think, per pa- passage. But uh, it's, it's what we often refer to as the rich young ruler. Young guy that has a lot of money and a lot of stuff comes up to Jesus. And if you read the parallel accounts to Mark, it actually says he was trying to justify himself. And he comes up to Jesus and he says, uh, uh, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, why do you call me good? Because no one's good except for God. And so he's kind of setting things off uh, immediately with like what Paul says in Romans, that none of us is good and none of us can earn our salvation. But that's the question he asks. And so Jesus says, well, will you know the commandments? And he kind of paraphrases them back to him. And the, and the rich young ruler says, yes, I do. And I've kept them all since my youth. And he says, yeah, I'm doing it. I'm killing it. I'm doing pretty good. And so it says, and this is what struck me, Mark chapter 10, verse 21, Jesus looks at him and says, and Jesus looking at him, loved him and said, you lack one thing, go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But here's the thing that struck me. So Jesus kind of reveals his heart, that he cared more about his stuff than loving God. He was trying to justify himself by his works never going to be able to do it. And Jesus was trying to show him that. But what struck me as I read it in Mark chapter 10 is that it says, Jesus looked at him and he loved him. And in loving him, he spoke the truth and he revealed the area where he wasn't trusting God. And so what God calls us to, to bless, is to speak the truth in love, to to say the things that the Bible clearly says that are true, to continue to hold fast to those, but to do it in a way that is kind that is affirming, that is speaking the truth. And we're called to do that. But the hard part is as you do that, persecution will often double. It will often come again, especially in our culture today. And that's where it becomes really difficult because there's this great temptation for us to then kind of throw being kind out the window and go, well, if it's not going to work, I got to be more pragmatic. And I need to respond the way the world responds. But what it's telling us all the way through this is that's not true. And that's not what we're called to. Look at what he says in verse 17 and 18. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what's honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And so he says, you're going to bless when they curse. You're going to bless in the face of persecution. And then as it comes, you're going to not return evil for evil. You're going to continue to hold fast to the truth. You're going to continue to bless in every circumstance and in every way. And he says, you should be thinking about how do I live among people who disagree with me uh, that's honorable in the sight of all, that I want to be as kind and as patient and as gracious as I possibly can in every situation. But the truth is, and, and I think he, he's realistic here. I think God knows the truth of all this. And as, as Paul's writing to us there in verse 18, that sometimes it doesn't work out just like that. Because look at what he says in verse 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. There are going to be times when you don't return. You're persecuted and you bless when they curse and you continue to hold fast and you continue to do so and the persecution comes. And it's uglier and more uh, vitriol and, and the attack is greater. 
And there's going to be times where you have to say, uh, we'll agree to disagree. I'm not going to talk to you about this right now. There's times when it's okay to say, okay, I'm going to step back. God has to change the heart in that situation. You can't do that. You continue to hold fast to seek to glorify God in everything and be kind and gracious. But sometimes it leads to walking away. I'm going to agree to disagree. We talk about that all the time here in discipleship uh, in sharing your faith with others, just in, in evangelism. There, there's a part in, in Luke's gospel where he sends out 72 into the towns and he tells them to go in. And if you find a person of peace there and your peace rests on them, you stay with them and you invest and you give time. And he says, and if not, and they don't want to have anything to do with you, you walk out, you shake the dust off your, your shoes and you walk on. And you give your time to where God's working in those and where there's people are leaning in. And so the same is true when persecution comes and it's worse and worse. And you go, okay, I'm going to allow, I'm going to pray for that person. I'm going to continue to seek for opportunities to engage in those conversations. But I'm going to allow God's God in this and trust him in that. And so we live peaceably as far as it depends on us. But I, I know for me in those situations, and maybe you've had that, maybe it's not even persecution in the sense of i've got to withdraw from it but you just know someone that's real difficult and they always want to argue with you and it's hard and they're telling you things that you believe are wrong or they're telling you scripture is wrong and you want to go i want you to see this and and, and if i'm honest when i'm in those situations this is me personally i want to be right right i kind of want to go i've got the answer here and i want you to see how right i am i don't know if you've ever felt that way and it's hard to be like, well, I'm just going to step back and, and not get to where it's, I'm frustrated. But I think the very next thing he says to you helps you in that. Because verse 19, he says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And so God is a God of justice. He is in control. We say these things all the time here. God is great. It means he is in control, so we don't have to be. I can trust him in that. He is a God of justice. He cares about justice. Things will be set right. And so when we have that opportunity in that, trusting that God is going to deal with this. And that's what he's saying here. You don't have to avenge yourself. God's in control. And he will do it. And he will keep those things together. It's very close to what Peter says in First Peter chapter 2 which is one of my favorite passages, especially when we think about just in this arena. How do we respond when someone's ugly? How do we hold fast to the truth in the face of persecution or someone saying, this is absurd? And so First Peter chapter 2, Peter writes in verse 20, but if when you do good and you suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. And when he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. It's exactly what Paul's saying here. Don't avenge yourself. God's in control. He's got this. He said, that's exactly what Jesus did when he was reviled, right? In the face of the greatest injustice in the history of the world when Jesus was crucified, when he was taken in the sham of his trial and people spit in his face and they mocked him and they tortured him and they ultimately killed him, he didn't revile in return. 
And what Peter says is he continued to trust himself to the one who judges justly. Jesus trusted the father in all things. He knew he was in control. He knew he could, tr- could trust him even in the hardest situations. And Paul's saying the same thing here. You don't have to avenge yourself. God is in control of this. And so when you get to that place of like, oh, I want to be right. And I want to make sure. And you're, you're starting to get to maybe an unhealthy thing. I want to argue and I want to show them. And, and you're on the borderline of going from blessing to cursing. I'm now going to be cutting and ugly rather than gracious and kind. I'm no longer going to say the truth in an affirming way. You can stop and you can trust the Lord in that. That he's in control and he is doing that work. And so if you think about it, Jesus is the exact imprint of the very nature of God. He is God himself in the flesh. And the way we see Jesus handling it, not reviling in return, is showing us exactly what divinity looks like in humanity. And so if we are to glorify God, we are called to the same. To not revile in return. To when someone uh, attacks, you bless and not curse. You don't return evil for evil. And so that's the, the picture of what he's calling us to. And so the second thing I want us to consider is why this is so important, why it's not peripheral, why it's not secondary, why it's not just like, well, you do it that way and I'll do it my way. Right? You do it that way and, and the world doesn't really work like that. And so I'm going to embrace being like attacking people, but you, that's fine. You do it that way. And, and the answer I would say to you, if you, if you look at verse 16, he comes back to something that he said multiple times already in Romans. But verse 16, he says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. And I'll make a connection to something he said multiple times in Romans. Uh, he said in chapter 11, uh, right in the middle of chapter 11 in verse 20, it says they were broken off because of their unbelief, talking about the Jews. And he says, but you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. And if you were with us when we went through chapter 11, what it says in chapter 11 is it's talking about the Jews and the Gentiles and how the non-Jewish people have now been brought into the church and so many Gentiles have rejected Jesus. And there were a whole lot of reasons why. Part of it was pride in their nationality. Part of it was believing that they could do it by their works, by holding fast to the law, that that's what made them good with God. And that's not true. And so these Gentiles have now come in. But what Paul says in the middle there of chapter 11 is you stand fast through faith. Do not become proud, but fear. Have a reverential awe for the grace of God in your life. Don't you begin to believe it's because of what you've done, but it's the grace of God. Remember that same thing here in verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. Do not become haughty. Haughty just means to begin to exalt yourself. Look at how good I am. Look at how I've figured this out, right? Or, or put it in today's terms. We get in these, these extreme camps and I'm this and I'm not that. And I am glad I'm not that. I'm glad I'm not as immoral as those people are. I'm glad I would never believe how dumb that is. And we start to th- think and talk that way. And as soon as we start to embrace that kind of thinking, I'm glad I'm like this and not like that. And we start to make it about me and who I am and and what I've figured out and how smart I am. I have forgot my standing before God. That I am saved by grace. 
that but for the grace of God, I would believe all those same things. That it's only because of God's mercy in my life. And as soon as I forget that, as as soon as I forget that I need God's grace minute by minute in my life, then I start to look down on other people. I start to become haughty. I start to become proud. I start to go, I'm not going to associate with those people, right? Which is what he says. Don't, don't do that. Don't look and go, oh, I'm not going to talk to them. He says, that can't be. And so I want you to see why this is so important. It goes to the very heart of the gospel. God saves us by his doing. By grace through faith, you've been saved. And it's not your own doing, but it's a gift of God. We've we've looked through that all the way through in, in Romans. We've been saying that saving faith is transferring your trust from what you do to what God has done for you in Jesus. That you're clinging to the grace of God and it's only Christ's work for you. It's his righteousness, not your own. And when we start to look down on other people, which often leads us to go, well, the ends justify the means. I'm glad I'm not like them and it's okay. And then it it leads to all these other things. It's because we've forgotten our own standing before God. And so I want to make sure that we see this. This is not peripheral. It's not secondary because this is an issue that goes right to the heart of the gospel. And we say all the time here, we want to be a gospel-centered church. We want to be fluent in the gospel. We want to see how who we are in Jesus and what he's done for us affects everything that we do. And so when we miss here, we're missing the heart of the gospel and how it works out in our life. And we become arrogant and we become boastful. And then that leads to returning evil for evil. That, that leads to this thing that I'm justified in doing so because I'm better than those people and I have the truth. And it's like it is the truth and we are called to speak out about it, but we're doing so in a way that is humble, that's understanding that we desperately need the grace of God in our own life. And as soon as we miss that, it all falls apart. And so I want you to think about why this is so important. That the ends don't justify the means because God works through the means. When we're gracious and kind, we're glorifying who God is because he is gracious and kind and he's been gracious to us. And when we throw that at the window and go, well, I don't have to be that way to other people. We're no longer glorifying. We're no longer pointing to who God is. We've totally exchanged the truth for a lie and we're not showing what God is like anymore. And so it's not a secondary thing. It's of utmost importance for us to live glorifying God in the world, to show people what he's like. And when we do, right, and so the last part of this, when we, when we actually embrace what he's calling us to, and we seek to glorify God in everything, look at what he says in the last two verses. Or, or go back to 19, because the end of 19, he says, uh, never avenge yourself, Vengeance is mine, I will pay, says the Lord. And then he says, to the contrary. So instead of, what he's saying there, to the contrary of avenging yourself or feeling like it's okay or embracing the things that the world says, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not become, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And so he says, don't you dare fall into the way the world does it and say the ends justify the means. Don't do that. 
But then he says in, in verse 20, which is one of those verses that I think gets so misrepresented and misused of what he's saying, right? Because he says, you're going to do this. Give, feed the one, your enemy. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. And he says, for by doing so, he will heap burning coals on his head. He's not saying, and in doing so, you'll humiliate him. Or in doing so, you'll bring him great pain. Right? Like he doesn't just say, don't return evil for evil. Be good. Continue to bless when they curse so that you can stick it to them. Right? It goes against everything he's just said. The exact opposite of all of it. So what is he saying? When he says, and in doing so, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Have you ever been sitting uh, by a campfire? Or maybe fire in your fireplace, fire pit outside, ever been around a fire? You put on uh, real dry wood that's burning really good and it sparks and it's popping. And you ever done this? Been sitting there in that situation and the fire's raging and all of a sudden you're kind of relaxed and sitting next, feeling the heat. And all of a sudden an ember comes flying out and it lands on your pants. You ever had that happen? What happens? You go, ah! you jump up. You were all calm. You were all uh, relaxed and enjoying the heat. And then all of a sudden it's like, ah, get it off. It awakened. It, it gets you to jump up. It awakens you. And that's, that's what he's saying here. And in doing so, you'll heap burning coals on their head. You'll awaken them to the grace of God. That if you continue to, to return good for evil, that if you continue to bless when they curse, that over time in doing so, they're going to be like, what is happening? And so I'll end, I'll end here this morning, just the importance of this. I, I was thinking about this from, it's from years ago, but God graciously, and, and please hear, I, I am not the hero of this story. I did not want to do any of this in my flesh and in myself. But years ago, uh, in my neighborhood, I think it's probably five or six years ago, Joanna and I built a pool in our old neighborhood. And I was friends with my neighbor. We weren't real close. We, we got along, but fine. But once we started building a pool, we had to tear down our fence and we were going through the side of the yard and all this stuff. And suddenly he didn't like me at all. And he was upset. We had a survey done. It turned out that my fence needed to move over about five feet into his yard because the the survey was like, no, actually your yard's bigger and his is smaller, which made him really mad. And so as we're building the pool, it was getting worse and worse to the point where we were friendly, but now it was like he would come home and he would slam stuff and he'd walk around the backyard and it was like, oh no, this is bad. And so over time, uh, tried to engage him in different ways and he was just ugly and he kept getting more and more frustrated and angry over the whole process. Uh, one point in the middle when they came to dig our pool, his backyard was flat and then it was a big slope with a bunch of weeds and it was you know, a mess in the back. And I said, hey, when we, when we dig the pool, would it help you if they gave you the dirt to help flatten out your yard where it's a slope? And he was like, oh, yeah, man, that'd be great. It was finally like a glimmer of hope. Like, all right. He said, yes, that'd be great. That'd be helpful. And so I said, okay, great. That's, I was like, all right, we're making headway. And so they did that. We, we went on. We finished the pool. We got towards the end. And uh, one day, he, he, over time, as they kept doing it, he kept getting more frustrated and slamming stuff around and being... And it, the, the goodwill that was there quickly dissolved. And so we got to the, almost to the very end. And one day I finally just said like, Hey, what's going on? Like you're, and he's like, well, you told me 
could have this dirt. And he's like, but I didn't realize it'd just be dirt in my yard. My yard's a mess. And it's dirt and it's not, well, it used to be dirt with weeds and now it was just dirt. <laughs> but he was mad that it was just dirt. And I remember going inside to Joanna and going, why is he mad at me? His yard was dirt before. It's still dirt now. Why is he angry? And he was just so, and I was frustrated. And Joanna was like, don't worry about it. You didn't do anything wrong. It's a, and so I rem, so anyway, what happened is the next week I go out there to work on my yard in a, where it was dirt and I was putting down a uh, jute mesh that holds the, the dirt in place. And then you put seed on it and then you put pine straw over it and it makes it look nice. So I'm doing this to my yard. And all of a sudden it was like, God said, you need to do that to his yard. And I went, this is me outside raking. I'm going to, I don't want to do it to his yard, right? Like I'm frustrated. It's 90 degrees outside and I'm raking and I'm like, his yard's dirt, but it's his yard. Who cares? And so it was like, God wouldn't let me have that. And I just kept raking. And so I raked his entire backyard and I put jute mesh down that I had bought and I covered it in pine straw and I put seed down in the part and I got done. And I was like, oh, fine. And I went home and that night, I think he came home and didn't see it. And the next day he saw it and he came over to my house and he rang the doorbell and he said, did you do that to my backyard? And I said, yeah, man, like, I don't want you to be mad. Like, you're my neighbor. I want us to get along. And he just stood there and he looked at me and he went, you didn't have to do that. And I said, I know. And he went, well, thanks. And from that moment on, we became really good friends. And all of it was gone. All the animosity. I got to pray for his mother when she got cancer. I got to share the gospel with him. We became really good friends through that. Because I put myself out for something that I didn't have to do. He was angry and he was persecuting in some ways, but by returning blessing, it, to me, it was this picture of exactly what Paul's saying here. And in doing so, you'll heap burning coals on their head. He suddenly went, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? And it gave all these opportunities to then say, this is what the gospel, this is what Jesus is like. He does for us what we don't deserve. And it totally melted some of those things away. Now, I would have been right in the sense to go, that's crazy. It's not my yard. I don't have to do that. I didn't have to do that. I was under no obligation to do that. But in doing so, it gave opportunities. It started to melt some of those things. And so right now in our culture, as believers, we have opportunities to be just like that at every turn. When people are ugly, when they're persecuting, when they're against those things, you have an opportunity to go, well, I'm justified. I'm done with this. Or you have the opportunity to show the grace, what the grace of God is like. That who we are and how we stand by that grace. And if we see everything as God's and we want every opportunity to glorify Jesus, that makes perfect sense. Does it not? So let's pray. God, we thank you for the glorious good news of the gospel. I pray that you would continue to help us to see the truth in all things. I pray that when we get frustrated uh, when there is persecution, when we are attacked in different ways, that we would continue to trust you in all things. I pray that we would continue to seek to show the gospel to those around us, the good news of what you've done for us, that we would hold fast to those things. Give us opportunities as, as, we, as we go and as we live. I pray that you would open our eyes to see the truth of each person around us, that you'd give us the grace to respond in the ways in which you have loved and saved us. 
And in doing so, we would glorify you in all things. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.